So what I want you to think about is first, let's think about the Christmas story. Think about the stories that you know. And I'm going to give you some of the things that maybe you think about. So where do you find the stories of Christmas? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or? Matthew and Luke, it's not in Mark or John. Mark begins with Jesus as an adult. John begins with Jesus at the dawn of time. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how John begins. Now, we think about it in certain ways. <laughs> Just scrap it, man. It's, all right, it's coming up. Hey, it's good to see you. <laughs> I know, right? So let this be a life example of the best laid plans and the best structures and of what you're sure about. Go Tigers. I just want my glasses. All right, here we go. Boom. Boom. All right, we're going with this. So on the left side, which circle is larger? And what I'm asking about is really in this middle, is this circle right here larger or this circle right here? They're the same, right. It's the, it's the surrounding perspective that gives you the sense of what you're looking at. All right, so let's take that and let's do it again. All right, again, two circles. Which circle is larger? They're the same. It's just that surrounding perspective that's going to give you a different one. Which line is longer? They're the same. It's the surrounding perspective that gives you it, even though you may be confident. Now let's talk about the birth of Jesus. This cheats because you give me my next slide. But Joseph was from Bethlehem, Nazareth, Hebron, Jerusalem, or none of the above. Where was Joseph from? In Luke 2, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. So all his kin was from Bethlehem, but Joseph himself was from Nazareth. That's why they go there, and then they have the baby, and then Jesus would later grow up in Nazareth. Who told or made Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem? An angel, Mary's mother, Herod, the shepherds, or Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus, right. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all world should be registered. They were doing a census in order to be able to tax people, and so you had to go from whence your family came. And so it was really Caesar that sent them there. Good job. According to the Bible, how did Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem? Camel, donkey, walk, Joseph walked, Mary rode a donkey, Uber, or the Bible doesn't say? The Bible doesn't say. Even though it's a great picture, and even though we have it in our mind, we don't know how they got there. They just got there. True or false, Joseph and Mary were married when Jesus was born. 
Right. He went registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who he's expecting a child. An engagement lasted about a year. And so therefore you ended up with them still being engaged. So it wasn't like you could just run off to Vegas. You had to go through the process. So even when Mary, when Jesus was born, they were still an unmarried couple. What does the Bible say the innkeeper said to Mary and Joseph? There's no room in the inn. I have a stable you can use. Come back later. I should have some vacancies, A and B, or none of the above. They laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, here's where it gets a little tough. And this is why you go to seminary for three years. Um, or you just bring me in and have me mess up PowerPoint. The room for inn here is later used when Jesus has the Last Supper. And the inn really meant the upper room. So it wasn't like there was a Motel 6 or a Hilton. Yes, neither one. And so what you had in those days, the houses actually looked like this. And so what you would have is perhaps upstairs on the roof, if you had a second floor, you were able to build a second floor then you had an upper room. And if you had guests come into town, then you would put them in the upper room. And so what it was, was because everybody was having to come back to their hometown and Bethlehem was not a place of industry, the people who were coming back didn't have places to stay. So this is Joseph's home family origin, so of course there's family there. Now, I know that changes the dynamics of every single nativity scene you've ever seen, and we're not going to change the Macklin Preschool one because it's just cute. However, let's think about life in those days because it does help us to put it into perspective the day and the place and the time that Jesus was born. And so what you would have is if you're a poor family, you don't just let your animals go running around everywhere. You need your animals for milk, you need your animals for wool, you need your animals for, they are your asset. If you go with me to Haiti, what you will see is a lot of cinder block houses with rebar sticking out the top. Why? There aren't banks. You don't just get a loan and build a house. As soon as you get the money for cinder blocks, you put more blocks on. We just get caught up in the idea of houses being what we think of and banking being some sort of transactional deal. Whereas if you were poor, you didn't just let your animals go. So the animals stayed in that first place by the door and then you would have some steps up to where the family stayed. And what do animals also help you do in the winter? Keep you warm. Now, you may not like the smell in the summer, but in the winter, you get cold enough, you'll be looking for anybody and everybody to put in that house to help heat it up. And so the house probably looked like this. The, the stable would be that part by the door so that you could keep your animals safe. A manger is a stable for domestic animals, a wooden hay storage bin, a feeding trough, or a barn. You see the picture? It's a feeding trough, right? Who was the first to know about Jesus' birth? Herod, the shepherds, the wise men, or none of the above? I'm guessing Mary. I mean, and I do that to say, at certain times, you just got to be pragmatic. And let's realize that above all the angels and everything else, Mary would have known. 
Mary, did you know? Yes. How many angels spoke to the shepherds? One, three, multitude, none of the above. <laughs> then an angel stood before him, and the angel, one angel said to them, I just got ahead, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. And then there was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. But they just one little angel messenger. Who saw the star in the east? Shepherds, Mary and Joseph, three kings, A and C, none of the above. Very good, except that there's really nothing to say that they were kings. Way to jump ahead there, Al. <laughs> Spoilers. So the wise men from the east came, and um, the word wise men refers to men of the educated class, eastern kings, astronomers, or sages. Sages, wise is a synonym for sages, that's good. But what did they do? How did they know? Yeah, and astronomers is probably the wrong word. It really probably is astrologers. We're probably closer to the Virgo, Sagittarius kind of thing of being able to see a sign in the skies. Astronomy, as we understand it, hadn't been invented yet because everybody still thought the world was flat. But we'll go with that. The Magi stopped in Jerusalem to inform Herod about Jesus, to find out where Jesus was, to ask about the star, to buy presents or none of the above. Where's the child? I mean, if you're looking for a king and you're coming to pay homage, homage is essentially there's a new king coming. We don't want your people invading our people. So how about we give you these gifts to keep things calm? You're going to go to the palace. When he's not in the palace, they're going, dude, where's... Well, they probably didn't say dude. Okay, Al. How many wise men does the Bible say came to see Jesus? Wise men from the east came. Uh, and why, why do we think there are three? Three gifts, right. So then we give them, we give them names and so forth. Um, where did the Magi find Jesus? Manger, stable, Nazareth, Egypt, a house, none of the above. Right. So this kind of goes back to our uh, original picture of it being a house. On entering the house, they saw the baby. And then I've already done this one. Where do we find the Christmas story of Matthew and Luke? Okay, so in the middle of all this, um, I want to just hit on briefly the irony of Christmas. And the irony of uh, being that I even pointed out decently in order and then couldn't get PowerPoint to work. I mean... If you don't miss, if you don't see anything else, see that lesson so that when you go into Christmas and you have all your expectations and it turns out in utter chaos, ta-da! When Mary was imagining her life before she was engaged or when she got engaged, this was not the chaos she imagined. When you look at that first Christmas and you look at Christmas today, let's talk about irony. 
Irony is this, the expression of one's meaning by using language that normally signifies the opposite, a situation whose result is contrary to the generally expected outcome, often in an extreme sense. So, for example, irony, the Titanic, God himself could not sink the ship. The irony is that it sank by hitting what? Iceberg. So they were worried about nothing sinking the ship, it hit water. That's irony. Here's some other examples of irony that I thought were fun. Nothing is written in stone, which <laughs> is written in stone. Uh, if you can't see the truck that just crashed into the bridge, it says on the road to success, there are no shortcuts. <laughs> this is actually not the knowledge of architecture and planning. College, they didn't plan enough room, and so the sea had to go around the... Now, I'm sure they're very good at their designs and stuff. They just, they messed up the sign. I like this one. Psychic medium Joe Power canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> and here is a bunch of young people wearing t-shirts that all say, be different. <laughs> and finally, thank you for driving carefully with the upside down car. Irony. Christmas is irony. We celebrate the birth of a homeless Messiah in the warmth and comfort of our own homes. And I've shared with you, with you this before, how difficult it must be for Joseph, who when the angel said, your engaged fiancé is pregnant, it's not your kid, but it's God's, and you should marry her anyway. And then the angel says, and he will deliver his people, and you will name him. And Joseph is thinking, what will I name him? If he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And then they tell him Jesus. Now that sounds like a cool name and a big name to us. But in that day, it would be like the angel saying, and you will name him Bob. <laughs> Jesus was a common name among the people. And so here is Joseph saying an angel came and he would name him and he would have to name him Bob. And the shepherds come from the fields and they say, they say, we have seen and the angel told us to come and see the newborn king. What's his name? Yes. <laughs> and then the wise men come and they say, what's his name? And he says, Right. But to them, they might have a question mark. It is that wonderful absurdity that he comes to the simplest of places and blows our expectations away, not by fulfilling our fantasies, but giving us bigger dreams. That God can show up any place, anytime, even in the middle of chaos, and not just the 12 days, which you know are 12 days after Christmas. It's just that Walmart bumped it to the days starting before Halloween until now. <laughs> but even in the midst of all that chaos, God can show up. And you'll name him a common name like Jesus or Bob. And he's born to Mary and Joe, which means he comes to us. So in the middle of that absurdity, 
we held a small, beautiful baby named Raleigh, and we said, God loves you. And that's the kind of wonder and joy that we see. And it's our job to make sure every child knows. Let us pray. God, in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of even not being able to get our technologies to work, in the middle of wanting to throw, whether it be phone on the ground or let the car roll down the hill, we ask you to come and touch us in organic, human ways that in our weakness you show us your power, in our frailty you show us your strength, and in our mortality you show us your immortal, everlasting love. For we would be people of your kingdom in this place and time, and that's why we've come, and that's why we've gathered and lift our voices, praying as we were taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.